Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. This week is episode number 206. The date is May 25th, 2021. I am recording it now. It will be dropping to patrons later today and uh, going public tomorrow. Anyway, this week's guest is once again Gabe Leonard. And I'm having Gabe on again this week because he's a good friend, he's easy to talk to, and he knows more about the art business, I think, than any other artist I know. And he's one of the more successful artists that I know, Um, you know, from a business standpoint, financially successful with his work. So I think it's really valuable to hear his thoughts about things. And um, the subject we are talking about today is the business of art. And it might not seem interesting or important, but it really is. It really is interesting, actually, when you start getting into it. And uh, it's super important, really important. Um almost as important as the artwork you're creating. I know that's blasphemy to say that, but if you want to make a living at it, marketing and taking care of the business aspect of things is almost as important as the art. I always say you got to have the, you know, the art should be first. Your artwork should be as good as possible. And that should all be worked out. But I know a lot of artists whose artwork is amazing and they've got that end worked out, but they don't have the business end worked out and I just see them struggling constantly and um, so I don't think that kind of struggle makes for the best art I know that's kind of a myth that you got to suffer and it's and I just I don't buy it I don't buy it because I think that even even with a good life um, making a decent living from your work there's still going to be suffering because there's always suffering because life is suffering. So why, why suffer more than you need, you need to anyway. So we talk about the business of art. It's a really great episode. I think really valuable information is in there. So, um, okay. What have I been going on, uh, going, going, what's been going on with me this last week? Uh, you know, I had that big study sale and that went well, luckily, Um, so, uh, I have a few more, I didn't get all of them done. I don't know. I guess the the podcast was posted before this happened, but people who are my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Chet if you want to join, because I post stuff in real time. So everybody knows what's, what I'm working on as it happens. As soon as I paint something, I post it. As soon as I'm done with the session, I post it. Um, and I do live streams and time lapses, all that. But anyway, um, People that were on there know what I was going through, and I just put in like a, probably a an eighteen hour day because I wanted to finish all these studies, and I was totally into this. I was just was it was weird. It was just like they were coming out, and I didn't want to stop it. They were coming easily, and uh, I I got into this purple and blue or red red purple blue color scheme on these paintings, and I was so into it that I didn't want to stop the flow. So I just worked straight through until like four 30 in the morning, trying to finish 20 studies. Um, and these, these studies are all for, uh, paintings for my show, my solo show in October. They're actual studies that are, I'm going to use for the show. 
<clears throat> but I needed some money, so um, I made them available, and I'm like, you know what? I'll just finish the this whole run at once and then put them on sale tomorrow. And uh, I finished 16 of them. And so now I have another four that I finished up, and I'm going to post those as well to sell. Uh, I think there's a, there's six, five or six left, plus these other um, I don't, three or four, I don't remember, that I, that I need to post. And... Uh, yeah, so it was crazy. I just could not stop myself. I was I love it when I get in that flow. It's uh it's super fun. Love it. Okay, that's what I've been up to. Dystopia book still waiting on uh, Mackie. Mackie just hit me up right before I started recording this and told me that she's um back on it. She had another project she was working on and uh she's going through and making all the changes today. So it's going to be very soon that we're going to have a a, a final version and then we could start looking at printers and pricing that out that's going to be fun but it's so close so close um what else is going on i have a uh i'm on the ghostly talk podcast in about an hour no in about yeah in about an hour uh, i'm trying to get on more podcasts to promote this podcast so because uh, I, I just i just every time i record an episode and edit it i just think this is such a good podcast more people need to know about it it's so the information so good and valuable. I mean, if I, I wish I had this podcast to listen to back when I was first starting as an artist, it would have been so helpful. Uh, we talked about that. I'm not sure if it's in the podcast, but Gabe and I talked about that, how there was not many resources. There wasn't even really the internet back when we were starting, not in the way that it is now. So anyway, that's that. Let's see. Uh, what? What's? Let's get to business. Let's talk about new subscribers. If you want to subscribe to the Dark Art Society podcast, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/DarkArtSociety. Get the podcast a day early. Get all kinds of other perks and bonuses. You know the spiel. Entrance into the secret Facebook group, and all kinds of other good stuff. And you support the podcast because I couldn't do it without your support. Uh, thank, I want to give another, uh, shout out. I've mentioned him before, but I want to give a shout to Randall Perkins. Once again, every week, like a champ, he sends me a message on who the last person, the last subscriber was. I left off last week and what my synesthesia name of the week I did last week and what number the episode is things that I'm just so disorganized and, and, and too busy mostly because I'm disorganized, but uh, he, he's really helping out with the podcast. So you should give him, uh, give him, give him your good thoughts because he, he really helps this podcast out. So we, we need to, we need to figure out a good name for him. Official record keeper of the dark art society or something like this. Anyway, he's great. Thanks Randall. You rule really appreciate all your help. Um, so the, the, I think this is where I left off here. Um, okay, we've got. Wait, Jer- Jeremy, Jeremy, Burley, Burley. I thought I said that one. Um. But he said we left off with John Richer, so. I think maybe they subscribed and then deleted it or something. So maybe okay. Anyway, Jeremy Berlay, thank you. 
uh, we got a deletion here and Gregory Hergert. Thank you, Gregory. Gregory sent me a nice little message as well about subscribing. And I really appreciate the support. You make it happen. You're making it happen. All of you who support are making it happen. And I really appreciate that. So anyway, let's get on with the interview. Gabe Leonard and the business of art. Here we go. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, I'm back. I uh, was just about to hit the render button to to uh, uh, render out this episode, and I realized I had forgotten the synesthesia name of the week after I just talked about how great Randall was to uh, let me know every week, to remind me, to let me know which name I've done. So um, I thought I'll jump back on and do this real quick. Okay, uh, how about Walter? Because Walter's a pretty strong strong uh, name, flavor. Uh, Walter tastes like spearmint gum. Wrigley's spearmint gum, specifically. Um, yeah, that's it. I don't know if that was worth coming back for, but anyway, I have gastroluxical synesthesia. Look, you could look it up to know what the hell I'm talking about. All right, anyway, enjoy the show. What's up, Gabe? What's up, Chet? You're back. Good to be back. Already. Are we going to do this like on a weekly thing? <laughs> I know. It's going to be the new format. Ask Gabe. <laughs> or, Ask Gabe Or it could just be like a little sidebar for part of, part of the podcast. So just, it's not, you know, it's, I think, because we both have systems and what we do. Right. And they're, and they're different, but mm-hmm. there's things that go between them that are, that are relevant, I think. Yeah. And. And uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about this since the last time we talked. Is like that's what it, that's what you're looking to develop as a as a system, a, a way of doing things that you can set up with minimal having to keep making decisions about it. Right. <clears throat> and so you have a, a whole community and a and a movement that you've kind of spearheaded and become a big figurehead in, which in and of itself has an audience. <clears throat> and that audience goes to your events. It follows all the things you do on Patreon and it subscribes to you. And so that's a really great way of doing things. But so how does somebody without the, without the re, the influence or reach that you've, you know, like obtained, how do they do that? Or, right. you know, how do the, you know, like, so I've, I sell through a number of galleries and, and uh, you know, the, my path to there was a whole, <laughs> weird mess of one thing well, after another happening. Yeah, well, that, I mean, this is just, just to give give people a, a, an idea of what we're doing today here is uh, uh, the talk, well, Gabe's interview, I thought went so well last time um, that I thought it'd be cool to have him on again and um, talk about the art business, just a general aspect of business in the art world because it's so important if you're going to make a living at it. And this is, you know, again... If you don't make a living at it and you're just doing art, that's totally fine. But for those people who do want to make a living at it or even want to make some passive or passive income or just extra income, 
Um, a side hustle. <laughs> yeah, a side hustle. The business end of it is really, really, really important. It really is is important. Like when I read this book, uh, when I first was trying to figure all this stuff out, this art, art marketing 101. Did you ever read that book? Uh-uh. It's so funny because it's like the ugliest fucking book cover ever like artistically it's so bad yeah like the graphic design's terrible which is kind of ironic but anyway the info in it seemed really solid and, and i ended up following a lot of it but one of it was um uh, one of the one of the pieces of advice that nobody wants to hear that i've mentioned before is that take take the time you're 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 spending painting and creating artwork and cut it in half and devote that time to marketing and uh and i i found that to be true which is sad but but you know it's like it's that important it's like almost as important as the artwork you know so so that raises a good question like what is marketing right oh yeah 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 that's so that's the that's the thing it's like marketing is is uh, i was just talking to someone on one of the mentorship tiers on my patreon the other day and you know marketing is nowadays it's not just like advertisements it's like posting time-lapse videos on your instagram Anything that's generating interest, you know, uh, beyond what you tr- traditionally think what marketing would be. It's like having events. It's like doing all kinds of different things. Yeah, so I know? think people, when they think of marketing, they're thinking of, like, i got to create advertisements and, exactly. like, yeah, right. confetti parades and stuff like that. And really, <laughs> when you think about it, marketing is, is, is you're bringing something that you've created to a market, to mm-hmm. a place, to a, to a spot or, or an environment where there are people. Right. Uh, and, and and idealistically, where there are people interested in the kind of product that you have. Right, right. So if you start thinking about, you know, okay, so you create your art, you have all this thing that you've done through, you know, like it's meaningful and has all this spiritual connection to you or whatever your art is in the creation of it. Once it's created, it's a, it's a product for you to sell. And that's what I think you want to get your mind around is that you have a item that you're bringing right. to a, to a place of <laughs> to a marketplace, right? But 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 even but but also let me add to that that it's you know promoting yourself is part of the marketing too. Even even if it's you know it's like promoting you as an as an artist or a brand, as they say, which is which, yeah. which could be like um, you know Skinner Skinner's a good example. Artist Skinner he he posts like all kinds. Of, he was for a while he was doing these really funny. Um, short videos of just him talking about things that they were hilarious, but they were, that was marketing for him. You know, they had nothing yeah. to do with art. They were just talking about <clears throat> funny shit. And it was yeah, like, he was marketing his brand, you know, garnering attention. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Attention is so, the new currency in, in, uh, well, in, uh, social media. It can land. be <laughs> attention can just be attention too. So the, the idea is like, so how do you get that attention into an action? Right. Uh, somebody, right. somebody has you, you have their attention. You know, how do you turn that into a decision and an action? Right. You know, so you've got their they walked on the lot. You got their interest. You got their attention. Now you need to get them to make a decision and take an action. So, yeah. so that's the that's the that's the you know the marketing to the sales part of things. Right. Um. So, the. In my mind, the the basis of all this is bringing it in front of people in mm-hmm. some meaningful way. Like whether you're doing so online or you're doing so at festivals or galleries, all these ways are ways of marketing yourself. Put yourself into the marketplace, getting your work in there. Right. And that can be done in anywhere you see somebody selling something. 
can be you selling your artwork. And so I sold, like I sold my artwork at farmers markets, in front of bookstores at the at the college campuses when they had vendor fairs. Yeah. Anywhere I saw those little pop-up tents and you could rent a space, that that was someplace where you could sell your artwork, and that was bringing it in front of people. Yeah. Um, the the other thing to think about is like not every crowd is your audience, so you have to at some point figure out who is it that is really inclined to be interested in your work, and then you're going to go find where those people are. And at some point along the line, I discovered that like people who drink beer and have tattoos seem to like my work. <laughs> <laughs> And it was something that simple. Right, so right. Anywhere where I saw a crowds of people that were in their 20s and 30s that had tattoos and were and there was a beer festival or something, <laughs> I was going to kill it. You wow. Know, yeah. Well, I was at a show like I was in a show in Florida where it was a bunch of old people looking, and all they were interested in is looking at the booth across to me that had these floral paintings. I was like, it was not my crowd. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was in an affluent neighborhood in Florida, but it wasn't my audience, and they weren't interested in my swashbuckling pirates and gunslingers. They wanted paintings of flowers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, my my experience of that, I've I've got a good example of that as well, and that is um, the tattoo community. When I did, I discovered, like, I was doing all this promotion for, let's see, probably, mm, you know, five years solid. I was promoting yeah. myself, doing my my website, social media, MySpace, and all that shit, and um, and then I got invited to a tattoo convention, and then everybody there, I was like famous there, I was like a celebrity there amongst the tattooers, and I had no idea. I was like, I ha all these people are have been into my work for years now, and uh, I had no idea. So it was like I, I didn't, I was still finding my audience. I w wasn't sure who they were. I mean, I was kind of. I was marketing to people like myself, really, because those are the only yeah. people I, you know, I figure I like the artwork I'm doing, so I'm going to try and market it to people like me. And it turns out that tattoo artists are like me. You know, they like yeah. dark stuff. And it just was one of those things. It was like, you know, I probably could have figured this out if I if I thought more about it, but I just I ha didn't well, so, have a clue so until. Was, did you not know that these were the people buying your work? No, not really. It's like, you look. couldn't see it. I couldn't, couldn't see them. No, I couldn't tell because I was selling, you know, through my website, and I, there were just names coming in yeah. and addresses, you know. So yeah, I, so that that's how, like, because I was selling it in person, I saw exactly who was right, buying my work. Right, right, right. And so I got a pretty clear that's, sense of like, who not only who bought my work, but who was who was more likely to buy my prints versus my originals and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, that's so, that's an interesting point with selling exclusively online is not being able to to see the people. I mean, that's kind of like a, a benefit to, to sell in, directly uh, uh, to be able to see yeah. them. You know. Yeah, yeah. So what you happen to find is eventually you went to a, uh, an event, right? Where right where I could were, see the people. And now, now all of a sudden, it's like I'm going to start doing tattoo conventions. Right. I can, I can I can do something here. Exactly. And so and so now you know specifically where to if you're going to go out in the real world. So your work, like you're not going to go to the, uh, you know, best Westminster dog show and sell Chet Zara <laughs> paintings or a fish concert in the parking lot right. and sell your artwork. You're going to go to the tattoo conventions. I mean, you, you know, so there's, you, you, you find the places where you can go in, in, in reality to sell it. And, and when you're in front of people in real reality, they, they often will make, be more inclined to make a decision and take an action mm, yeah. because they see you, they meet you. It's an exciting uh, experience. You know, they've right. followed your work and now they can talk to you in person and get, watch you sign it. And there's all kinds of layers of things that you can build upon that. So, right. Uh, 
Yeah, so that's that. <laughs> that was my experience with finding yeah. my audience because it's when I started, I really had no idea who my audience was, what age, and I just kind of assumed they were sort of like me. And um, you know, you're just at first, you're just throwing all the different things out there and seeing what what lands, you know, and and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and just trying to kind of build on it. It's it's hard at first because you don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I was reading books and asking friends and um, trying to get advice about certain things. And a lot of friends I had were also like figuring it out for themselves too. And so yeah, we're all just we're like, all we're all, none of us know what we're doing. We're all just, <laughs> I think that brings up a good point. It's like, so true. You shouldn't wait until you've got it figured out because you're never going to have it figured out enough to get started. You, you really just have to jump into it <laughs> oh definitely absolutely and, you gotta just and uh just fumble your way through things absolutely like like i mean for for me for sure i can say that i still am figuring things out and i still don't feel like i totally know what i'm doing it's like i've got certain things i kind of got figured out but things change all the time and you have to keep yeah. kind of readjusting yourself and it's never the same it's never like you, you find a formula not that I found yet, and you know we've both both been doing this pretty long. And tell me if this is true for you as well. But I've I've never found one thing that's like, oh, this is it. This is the thing. I just need to keep doing it because it changes in different in different does, subtle yeah. ways, it's, and it's, you have to change with it. And it, the irony is, as soon as you think you figured something out, <laughs> it's changed to something else. So yep. like, the way I've described this before is that it's like. It's like that movie 2012. You ever seen that? Or with John Cusack, and he's on, an, gets in, a, he's trying to get to the airplane. The asteroids are hitting the Earth, and they have to take off at the airport. And the Earth is caving in. The airport's caving into the middle of the Earth, and they're in the airplane, and they're flying down. They're going down the runway. They're trying to take off, and the and the runway is crushing into the center of the Earth behind them. Mm. And at the end of the runway is a hedge of trees that they have to clear before they <laughs> when they take off. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you're the, so the the ground is always caving in behind you, and the and the end of the runway is another thing you have to clear when you take off. And that's right. always where you're at. You're right there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to get comfortable with that. You have to get comfortable with that kind of uncertainty, I think, in order to really uh, be able to flow with it. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's there there are you know so you can get some sort of systems in in place that work, but I think. I think the, the the one of the things to kind of keep ahead of that uncertainty is to not sit around and wait for things to change and force you to move. So you're constantly right. looking for ways to improve what you're doing, right. uh, finding new ways, finding new places to go. Be more efficient. You know, like, like even in the gallery business, galleries come and go. The owners can change. The sales right. staff turns over. Uh have you ever had a collector that I've had collectors that were just like, Oh, I'm set now. This guy's buying everything I do. I remember, you know, when I first started getting collectors, it was like, I'd get a, I'd get a, a collector and they would just be buying everything for like, you yeah. know, six months or a year or two years. And then all of a sudden they just stop. And it's like, I don't like those. I mean, I like those collectors, but <laughs> I won't I, sell I, those I collectors. Not, I prefer not to have too many of them. Cause one, like when I first started getting to galleries, I had two or three that were buying up everything. Right. And the problem is, is that what when galleries love to sell to those people because it's easy sales. Mm. But then what happens is there's lots of people who want to buy the work who can't because some 
favorite person's always buying it, mm-hmm. and then they just give up and they and they and they lose interest. Right. That they can never get your work. Oh, that's interesting. And then you have a collector who has a a whole bunch of artwork, and and the, they might be speculating, especially if you you're on the rise up. They might be buying it out of speculation, and then turn around and try to resell it. Right. And then you have somebody dumping your work onto the market while you're trying to sell, and then you're competing against collectors. Right. Who, I, I showed up at a gallery and. The, uh, for an event, and it, and in the event, a, co- a collector had one of his pieces in the show for sale, and I'm like, no, it's like, <laughs> I brought all this new work down here. I'm not having some. I'm not getting yeah, any piece of this. Competing. <laughs> Get rid of it. If he wants to sell it, he can go find his. He can go do it himself. I was like, I'm not. You know. <laughs> you can't turn down a collector like that, though. That's buying all your work up, though. That's the thing. It's I, like I talked to. I brought I, the collector was at the show. I brought him to the side. I said, I, this is an event. For no, no, I, I mean, yeah. initially when they were buying, you're saying you don't really like like it when that happens. You can't turn that down, though. Can you, you can. Yeah. Well, it's at that time. I never I was, have. <laughs> that didn't happen when I was selling it myself. Okay. It, okay. Ha- it happened when I started getting a bunch of galleries. Then you have people who are just speculating and they're buying, buying a bunch of work. And sometimes they're buying it because they truly love it. Right. And they just want a huge club. They just want to own it. And they like the exclusivity of having these things. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, but there are people who will buy it as a speculation. And the other thing that happens too, is that you've got to be on top of your pricing on, on, on as far as if you have a gallery or a collector that's driving up prices, like especially if you have, say, you only have one or two collectors that are buying a whole bunch of stuff, you got to be weary about raising your prices too high because they'll stop buying eventually. Mm-hmm. And then you have priced yourself so high that only those collectors can buy the work. Right. And what are you going to do? Go back down to low prices yeah. and then have the collectors who bought all that work. You can always go up, but you can't go back down. Try to sell it to, you know, try to sell the work to get because the prices are going down. So that's that's a, you know that's not a generally a worry you're going to have starting out that's kind of a worry when you have uh distribution and galleries and all kinds of other other people trying to pile on to what you're doing right um it's not a huge i'm bringing this up it's not really a huge problem for me but it's like when i have had a couple of those collectors like i don't want all of my sales to be concentrated into just a couple of people because they will stop buying eventually Yeah, yeah. Start buying work from other people. You you want to be in, in collections of people who collect a lot of artwork from lots of different artists. That's that's something you want to be part of. Right. And and um. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> yeah, you're never set. Yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> one thing about those people. It's exciting when you have somebody just buying, snatching up everything, and then it's frustrating when they turn if the, if they turn around and then are trying to resell it at your galleries and getting your galleries to. You know, because the galleries don't want to upset good collectors. They don't want to, like, say no to them. And, you know, but you don't want to be competing for sales against work that you've already sold. Right. You know, and it doesn't necessarily look good for you to have a bunch of old work people are trying to get rid of. And, you know, right. and you don't have any control over how they're pricing it and all that kind of stuff. So it's. What, what would you say? Um, <clears throat> what would you say? Well, what, what would you do if you knew what you do now? And you were just starting out as a painter, and you're like, "I want to do this." What would you do? What would be the first thing that you would do? Oh man, that's a good question, huh? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, because I'm in such a different place now. I mean, and I have all this different experience that I have. Uh, um, Put you on the spot, didn't I? I don't even know what yeah, I would well, do. Well, I think I think that's where we're both at. We're both trying to figure out what, what we would do. Like, it almost always feels like you're just, like, I feel like I'm starting over it a lot because the world's changed so much. I know, right. right. And Definitely. so what I what I'm trying to do on a on a regular basis is figure out how to put it out in front of people as best as I can, right? Yeah. So it seems like putting it out on online is probably the most obvious solution to start with. Yeah. But I I'm seeing that there's a couple of really big drawbacks to the way social media platforms work right now is that they really restrict how much exposure you're getting. Mm -hmm. You know, you put something out and it's only shown to a few hundred people. Yeah, maybe. But they're the only game and, in town, though. It's like, yeah, what else are you going to do? And then the way to get it sh get it exposed to more people is is either to make, you know, keep having to guess what the algorithm is going to favor to get more get more distribution on their network, or to pay for that distribution. Right. But I but, I hear the paying thing does not work well. It works for getting it in front of people's eyes for sure. And early on, galleries were making a lot of sales by doing, taking out advertisements, and and the and the uh, targeted advertisements, they they do work if you know what you're doing. Oh, really? But even then, you're you, what you're turning yourself into is some sort of uh, ad agency. <laughs> you're producing ad content for a company who doesn't have to like almost I almost think that these social media companies should be paying us to produce this I know, content. I know. That I they're know. advertising <clears throat> on. So what you're doing promoting your stuff online is you're working for an advertising company on spec. Well in you're theory they're, they're paying you with views. That's in the theory. Are, yeah, but you have no idea of what you're actually getting because their insights are really low level. Right. Um all you you don't have any control over this. So you're guessing at what they want unless you uh, know, have some inside knowledge about how these uh, platforms work. But you're creating content, you're creating your art, and then you're creating content about your artwork at, so that people will stay engaged so that they can see more advertisements. Right. And and so people, you know, so you go back to what you said about like you when you were creating artwork for your, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, you figure people like you would like the artwork, right? Right. And, and I've approached my artwork that way. I, I create the artwork that I really like to make that I think is interesting or cool or fun or whatever it is. Mm. And, th and my assumptions were that I'm not different than other people. If I think something is cool, I'm sure there's other people that are going to think it's cool. And so I want to go right. find people like me who agree that this is cool. Right. And so you go to places where you would hang out and, you put, and that's where you put it out. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. It's logical. And and so like, um, what was I going with this? The so the social media aspect is like, it's it. You you, so I have like on my so on my Facebook face uh, fan page for example, I have like fifty three thousand followers on there, mm -hmm. and I I That's put good. out a post and it might reach like five hundred. I know a thousand people. Yep. Like it doesn't even reach everybody who said yes, clicked on it. I want to follow. It doesn't even reach them. I know. So what's what's the point? You know, like yeah. you're not not getting unless you're spending a lot of time creating the content. Like you're you're really good at video editing. 
you're really good at um, all the stuff. You know, if you're going to compete on that in this marketplace of online, you have to be good, probably at all the tech stuff like uh, video and audio and mm. and editing and all that stuff. If you, it's almost like if you're going to be good at one thing, you have to have at least one or two other things that you're also really good at. Right. Yeah, because it, yeah, it work. yeah, yeah, because it's the, the the days of just sitting and painting and have someone having someone take care of everything else are just gone. If they've, I don't know if they've ever even really been. Even if they were way. there, that somebody else is. If you don't know how to do that, then as soon as that somebody else finds somebody who can, they can make more money off and they leave you. Yeah, right. <laughs> if, if you don't know how you got there, you're gonna be in, you're gonna be in, you're gonna put yourself in a tough situation. Right. Probably. Well, like, so I look back at like the, the skill sets that I had. So I had the skill set of making artwork. Um, I was proficient at that. And then the skill set that I developed was outside of that was learning how to talk to people and in, 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 you know, in all these situations, learn how to talk about the artwork. Mm-hmm. So I had to develop the skill set of being a salesperson. Yeah, which I didn't didn't have really. It's funny that it's funny that you say that though, because you you totally seem like a guy that's always had this natural ability to sell and to talk to people and be outgoing. You see, you, I've because I I met you. I mean, when we really became friends, you were already pretty successful with your. I mean, you know, you were making. I was traveling at festivals. I remember yeah. I loaded a piece out of a van. I had like a little filing cabinet in my bag. Yeah. <laughs> with you and then i left yeah so so it's my perception of you is that you were always just one of those people that was like that but but i mean i think we talked about this last episode is that it's something that you have to develop yeah Uh, i mean i mean i i think if i had a knack for anything i probably just had a knack for being quick-witted with people oh yeah yeah Um, you, you got a pretty quick wit i have to say but but um this the sales tactics were something i developed i i learned it by watching a movie you know, you read books and right. I'm like, I watched a movie and then I met people who knew what to do and they kind of gave me some information and then I took that and went with it. And, and what happens is like we mentioned earlier, you just jump into it. Uh, you have some sort of game plan, but as soon as you jump into it, all the things <laughs> that you never thought were going to happen, come up, come up. <laughs> yeah. You have a plan. You they have both a pl- assist you and they hold you back. Yeah. Things that you, you can't plan for it. You have a plan and then the plan immediately gets goes to shit. And you just have yeah. to like kind of pick up the pieces and keep there's going. A, and Yeah, there's a saying that no plan is, survives initial contact. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so true. That's so true. Um, what was I going to say? Wait, I was going to ask you something. I, I had a good one. Uh, uh, oh, oh, oh. Did you? I know that. This is like a, I think, true for so many artists, maybe not at the high blue chip levels, but a lot of artists have issues with um, making money from their art because they view the art as like, you know, because it really it's personal for most of us. You know, I think all artists really it's like a personal expression of yourself and then putting a price on that, I think, is difficult for a lot of people to swallow. I mean, I was like that when I was younger. By the time I started, I was like 33, so I was already kind of like a bitter older guy, you know. That was like, yeah. you know, this is the real. I know the real world now. This is the way it goes. So I'm gonna, I'm you gonna. You know, the weird hang up that I had um, was signing my work. 
Really? I, I hated signing it because it had nothing to do with the artwork. It was like just a, <laughs> a word. It was like, where do I put this that doesn't take up some valuable real estate that's a, on the front of the painting? That's a friend of mine, an artist friend of mine, felt the same way, too. Like He felt like it and was so, defacing the painting by putting a yeah, signature so on it. I would have my painting for sale, and then when they would somebody would buy them, they would I would sign it for them. Because people generally like to buy a painting that was signed by the artist. Yeah, signed is is, but it's like for me, it was the all the artwork I grew up on. You know, Frazetta mainly. It was like my big one when I was a kid. Those he had that cool ass signature, and it was always on every painting. And it, yeah. so it was like uh, that. That was just part of it for me because I kind of kind of um, grew up with it. But did you ever have an issue? I and you don't. You don't seem like you ever had an issue with it, with like putting a price on things and kind of like separating your your personal feelings, you know, separating the art from the commerce. Well, for me, the the making of the art was different than the selling of the art. So like all the, the sort of like meaningful part of the artwork was in its production. Right, after same it's here. Produced, it's a, after it's produced, it's an object. Yeah. And sometimes, it's, you know, there's paintings that I held on to and, you know, and just didn't sell. But eventually, if you're making hundreds and thousands of paintings, you're going to run out of room. And <laughs> the, the idea for me was that the paintings are better off out in the world being enjoyed by people. That's what am I just going to like be like a like a little dragon on my own hoard here, like that's, not letting anybody have it? Yeah, like, that's totally my feeling on it too. It's like it's like when you have kids, you eventually you you raise them to go and be individual people out in the world that's just kind of how it's supposed to work you're not supposed to keep your kids <laughs> yeah i know but i'm just saying you're not supposed to you're not supposed to you were a kid once though so you kind of know it. you're not supposed to yeah. keep your kids always at home and be you know not letting them go out and play it's like it's yeah. part to me part of the whole process is releasing them into the wild and letting other people enjoy them for sure it's well, like it gives so, them yeah, another so for, life for part of the connect part of the the point of making art is finding ways of connection with people mm -hmm. and, yeah. and getting, getting that work out into the world is a way of connecting with people who like what you do. And the putting a price tag on something is just having a, a bar that people can't just like shrug and say, sure, I'll take a free piece of artwork. Right. You want people, <laughs> it's like you want a sort of a certain level of admittance, you know, like people who really want it, well, well you know, you know, like you only make so much artwork. Right. So, Rather than just give it to the first person who, who walks by and likes it, you want to give it to the person who likes it enough to pay for it. Right. Yeah, because so I mean, you, you you've got a gate so 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 that the people that you're connecting with are really interested in what you're doing, and and that's why they're they're going to be paying for it. Right. And and you know whether people like it or not, money is like whether we I think whether anybody believes it or not, money is of the utmost importance in the back of everybody's minds. Cause if you don't have it, you're, you're fucked. And it's like, it's not right, but that's the way it is. So it's like money heard, is kind uh, of like a, 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 a really, it's kind of the ultimate expression of, you know, wanting something is being able to give up your money for it. It's like, people just don't give away their money to people. They just don't hardly, they don't give it away. They don't share how much they make. It's like this big thing. We hold on to our money, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so eventually, at least for me, I got to a point where I don't think, you know, I put prices on things, but when I'm selling stuff, I'm not thinking about money. They're just numbers. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and they're just calculations. It's like it doesn't have a real, you know, I don't think differently about making a $7,000 sale versus making a $700 sale. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, we're talking about making, you know, deals with people or whatever it is. Like, they're just, they're just numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some calculation. You have to figure out, like, is there enough profit margin? Am I selling enough of these at enough volume at this price to sustain what I'm doing? Like, like, you know, so one of the, when I was selling at shows close to home, I only had to make so much money because I could come home after the show. Like, when I started doing shows that were farther away where I had hotels and I had to like go to Texas or Colorado or Florida, like after your booth expenses, your traveling expenses, your expenses of getting inventory together, you had to make enough money to afford, like there had to be a bare minimum. Otherwise you were losing money going that far out. Right. And if you, and if you didn't know with reason, a reasonable certain degree of certainty that you were going to be able to, make those shows work, then you wouldn't be doing those because you can't afford to go to two or three shows in a row and not make enough money to keep, keep the plate spinning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you, that's why these things get, they, they build up gradually. Once I started making a certain amount of shows on a regular basis, I knew that I could take this show farther and farther away Right. because I could afford, I could afford all the other added on expenses that were going to eat into that. And without, without the financial, aspect of selling your art you would have never been able to do any of it you know so it's like you, yeah, could, you so, could have been like super idealistic and be like i'm not gonna sell my pieces out it's beyond money it's worth more than money to me but you yeah. it wouldn't have allowed you to go out and share your art all over the united states if you hadn't done that you know i'm just trying yeah, to like, think of like examples sort of of so why it's I okay think getting, <laughs> i think what you're getting at is that um you you work within certain limitations and if money was no object, then like if I had just an abundance of money and I had never had to work for anything, it, I might've had, that wouldn't have been a limitation on what I was doing mm-hmm. or having to figure out how to work within that limitation. Right. Um, like if you have an unlimited amount of space, you'll make unlimited sized paintings, mm-hmm. you know, like, so everybody, well, no matter what you're doing, you have certain parameters of what you're working within. And, a lot, and for most people, the, the financial parameter is one of them. And right. then the, the size of the space that you're working in, the size of the vehicle you have to move your art around, and all those things are things you have to work within, these, these sort of uh, constrictions. Right. And, and so whatever, you know, so when you're, wherever you're starting out, you look at what, what do you have available to you what are your what are your assets, so to speak? Like, what are the things that, like, if you have a vehicle, as that's an asset in the sense that you can use that to make money by transporting your work from here to there right. and putting it in front of people, or your your digital equipment is an asset in the sense that you can create a digital capture and put it on a social media platform. So then your limitations are how much space you have to work in. Um, if it might be financial, like you have a family and you need to support them. So you have to have a, 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 a certain amount of it. You can't afford to just like starve yourself while you're figuring it out because you have people that are dependent upon you. Right. So there's, there's lots of, everybody has their own sort of situation. So you got to figure out what you have available to you and then how to leverage that and, and, and employ that into doing something. Well, and uh, you know, the ultimate 
limitation is you're going to die one day, you know? So it's like everybody <laughs> has that limitation that but you only have. really a... thinking about that. I know. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> until you, not until you the get. The older you get, the more you think. Yeah, about exactly. <laughs> now that I'm in my 50s, I think about that all the time. Um, I'm thinking about it more and more. It's like, it's like, so, so that's a, the, outside of dying, your physical limitations. Like you get older, you're right. physically less capable of doing a lot of things. Right. Like, and one of the reasons I wanted to get out of festivals is I could see that this was going to, if I was to get injured or get sick or as I get older, it's going to be harder and harder to maintain. Mm, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And so what, the, so what the gallery system allows me to do is it allows me to not have to do all that physical labor Right. Of moving and selling to work myself. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, 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 I was talking to Gary from Copper the other day. And this and and he 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 said he was like I forget how it came up. Uh, oh, I was thinking I was telling him about my study sale and how I needed money, for, you know, to pay my taxes, and so I made a bunch of studies. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> he said. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could do that. I wish I could just create value out of nothing, basically. And yeah, and it's and and I remember my friend Moto, who who was a uh, uh, he passed away a few years ago, unexpectedly he got sick. But um, he was he was a really great friend and a really amazing sculptor and effects, like fucking one of the best. And uh, he was trying to get into fine art uh, right before he died, and um, he he used to tell me. Cause I, and I, and I had my, my career going. And so I was kind of like rooting him on and wanting to see, see him do well and do that. Um, and he used to say, uh, it's like printing money. He used to tell me, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're just like you're printing money. And, um, and if you think about it, I mean, all of this, of course, this money issue is, is a matter of perspective. Um, it needs to happen. If you want to make a living at it, you have to do it. You have to sell your stuff and make money. So it's a, but how you look at it, kind of makes maybe makes it more palatable if you have an issue with that like to me the idea that you can create value out of nothing something that artists i think uniquely have this ability is to create value out of nothing is like it's like a kind of a mystical thing or like a magical yeah. thing can you I think mean, of anything <laughs> else anyone else that can just create value out of nothing or these oh, few yeah, raw materials you can, you can just a few raw materials and you can make something that people want. It's yeah. Kind of, that has value. So what you're, what you're missing here is that, so you do a bunch of studies to make, but you also have spent a lot of time cultivating that audience who was there waiting to receive it too. Right. Yeah. So if yeah, you yeah. just, right. like if you just make a bunch of stuff and have nowhere to bring it in front of people, then right, that doesn't right. do you much good. Yeah, absolutely. That's, but that's part of, um, you know, that's but part of the I process tell you, of creating uh, a the story value. About, that relates to this. Like when I, when I was first in LA, I was, I was I was here with my college roommate. Uh, we went to school together. We we drove out to L.A. We camped out along the way. Uh, we all I had was my portfolio of art and a duffel bag full of clothes. That's all I showed up in L.A. with. <laughs> Any money? Bit, How much money? Art supplies, How much you know, money did you have? Nineteen hundred dollars. Wow. <laughs> and some of that, I, I I would have had less if I had won three hundred dollars in Deadwood, South Dakota, playing a slot machine. <laughs> <laughs> And that and that, that the funny thing is, is the, that morning we woke up from camp after we we camped out in the Black Hills, yeah. and we woke up in a puddle of water because it started raining in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, so we got here, <clears throat> struggled to find a job and find a place to live because you can't find one without the other. Eventually, we did that, but it, so 
you know, but the other, other than that, I had nowhere to go. If I wasn't at, at Macy's working, I had no money, nothing to do. And we would sit around the house throwing pennies at each other with our feet. <laughs> we, had a, we had a two bedroom apartment for seven fifty a month in Glendale and we had no furniture. <laughs> we had nothing. We basically, I had a, I had a blow up mattress from the, from the, uh, <laughs> army surplus store and my art supplies and, and my portfolio leaned up against the wall and my suit and my duffel bag with clothes. That's all I got. Wow. So what do we do? We, we went to Hollywood one time and, and like, uh, on the strip and I ended up in this bar, but I don't, I didn't drink or anything. So, um, I was I I think I got like a diet coke or something it was like a couple of bucks like mm-hmm. maybe I had a couple and I had my sketchbook and I was just doodling and this couple came over and like oh well cool what's that and so they offered if I drew a picture of them they'd buy me some fries like you know will you draw a picture of us I'm like yeah you you know like well how much would you charge I'm like I said uh, buy me some fries I'll draw a picture of you <laughs> <laughs> and I got some fries and I think maybe some chicken strips or something I drew a picture of them right there I, that's so I great. was able to feed myself by just drawing a doodle of somebody right literally. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's I can't awesome. tell you how many times I showed up on the boardwalk completely broke. I had I showed up with zero dollars in my pocket, and I had my artwork. I put it out there, and somebody's like wanted a ten dollar print. They give me a twenty dollar bill, and I would take the twenty dollar bill. I'm like, I'll be right back. I go across the street to the liquor store to break it. But I didn't have any change. <laughs> wow. I wouldn't let them not having exact change stop me, but. Right. You take some twenty dollar bill and walk off with it. They aren't leaving. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And they know you're not leaving because all your stuff's right there. Yeah. Right. (laughs) They're washing your stuff. You can go to get uh, a get a get a coke or something to the liquor store to break your change. Right. (laughs) I come back and then I would come. I would come home with a couple hundred bucks after the day. I would literally show up places with zero bucks to my name and leave with two hundred dollars out of thin air. Yeah. That's you know. That's and and uh, so cool. I would take that money and I have to be buying ink and buying like I didn't put almost all that money right back into like right. making sure I had enough artwork to sell again. Well, that's I mean, that that's another thing that's been just a constant. And I'm sure this is true for you. I, I know it is um, all the you know, any time any of the gains we make, it goes right back into the business. It's like you have to it, you have to it's this constant. You keep you keep growing it and you keep growing it. So it's like you have a good you know you have a good month or a good few months and it's like that money's going back into buying new supplies and and you know you're always trying to um update upgrade your studio because you're you're wanting to make things efficient more efficient and easier to do and less of a hassle so you can just get to pure creating the painting so it's like the things that keep knocking over you want to fix and you know your reference wall that you use is not in a, in a good spot so you want to put it by the easel and it's like you're constantly just like upgrading i mean i i know that's what you do because you're always sending me pictures of your, your studio it's you. <laughs> and i'm doing the same thing too yeah well like another way to think about this too if you want to get your mind out of the money is think about it, about it as calories and you have to expend a certain amount of calories to get food to give yourself calories right like mm-hmm. so you you have to be bringing in more calories than you're expending. Right. Right. And so you, you, you that's what you're really doing. And, and we're all in a, the first world of the U S and so we're not thinking about, am I, how much energy is it going to take for me to go get some food today? Right. And is it going to take more energy than I, than I already have? And, and will that, that amount of energy I expend 
result in enough energy to keep me going for the next day. Like, right. so we're not, we're not, our backs are up against the wall that tight, but that's really what money is. It's a, it's a measure of economic energy. Like, right. and so you have to be bringing in energy to be able to put more energy back into what you're doing. And that is how you combat this, this idea. So we were talking about like things are always changing and falling apart and transitioning it's entropy. Things are always falling apart mm -hmm. unless you, you know, the way to combat that is you have to put energy into something to keep it from decaying right? and, and, and regressing. So if you get to a point and you just put it on cruise control, you're going to go flat while everything else goes up. And so by contrast, you're going to be going down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have, yeah, it's a constant of, putting the energy back into what you're doing and hopefully that it returns at least as much energy as that you're expending on it. Right. Um, I don't know who would be wanting to try to make a living as an artist and be upset and simultaneously be upset about the idea of selling their artwork. Um, well, I know, I know some artists, uh, people I've known artists along the way that have had issues with, the money aspect, you know, even if they're doing it, it's like, you know, it's almost like a, they don't like to talk about it. It's like a weird, uncomfortable, it's like a necessary evil. And it's like, I don't even think you really even need to think about it as a, as that, as a necessary evil. It is a necessary evil kind of, but it's like just thinking about it. And, it, and to me, it's like, uh, it's pure practicality. It's like, this needs well, to ha it, it, this needs to happen if I'm going to continue to paint. I love to paint. My ultimate goal is that I'm sitting there painting because that's what I love. It's not buying shit. It's not traveling. Nothing. It's like this is the most fun thing I can think of to do with my clothes on, and so <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> and I'm not making making. <laughs> Depends how hot it is in the studio. I've painted naked before. Um, <laughs> live stream that. <laughs> yeah, there's a perfect tip on how to how to become a successful artist: paint nude yeah. and, and uh, live stream it. Well, I think I think. But, but, but wait, I was are, let me say I was gonna yeah. say, I was gonna say. Uh, um, uh, uh, so it's I justify it because this is my ultimate goal, and I'm singularly focused on this goal of painting. And the way that yeah. the only way nobody's my family's going to give me any money. Nobody has any money. I don't know anybody really that would give me like money to live on. I don't, you know, yeah. working a regular job is going to take time away from that. So the, the way I can paint the most is to be successful uh, selling the work. So it's it's an it yeah. just it's an ends means to an end to me to, to continue painting. And that's just how I look at it. I also find when I have fewer paintings around because I've sold them, I feel naked somehow and I need to make more. Mm -hmm. like, I, I don't want to have like nothing sitting around. Like right. I, I, but I don't want to have stacks and stacks and stacks of paintings that I don't know what to do with either. So right. um, I think what you're getting at too is like people are afraid of the trap of that. They, that the money will become like they're painting for money. Like they're just anything right. for a buck idea. Right. And there are plenty of people who do that or, or they're worried about, the idea of being a sellout of some sort exactly which i think is a myth in a lot of ways because if it was easy to be a sellout there would everybody would be doing it right you well yeah, yeah but i mean and also there's like <laughs> you know uh, 
everybody so sells the, everybody sells out it's like any job is selling out you're selling your you're selling your time for money yeah so, so you so know might as well be enjoying I, yourself while you're doing it yeah the way that i look at this and what i do is that i like I've, i mentioned before i have a kind of two hats one is the making of the artwork and in that sense, I make whatever I feel like making and whatever I enjoy making. Because mm-hmm. every time I've tried to make anything that I thought was going to make a make a buck or yep. was, Same oh, here. this like whatever the low hanging fruit might be, oh everybody's doing this, I'll do one of these two, yep. blah, or, or oh this will be a sure hit. It it almost never works. It's almost like people can sense it or something. It or it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that thing. It doesn't have the magic thing that makes people yeah. like your work. It's weird. I totally yeah. have had that experience myself. And so I just make the work I enjoy making. And then after I have the artwork, I take that hat off and put on the sales guy hat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do I sell this? Right. Who's going to like it? And then where do I take it to find people who will, who will buy it so that I can then take that and make more. Right. And, and so how do you keep that cycle going? So the, the premise of being up nervous about putting price tag on it like there's going to be plenty of things that are going to defeat you in life don't defeat yourself (laughs) (laughs) right it's already hard enough to 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 make a living this is imagining an an obstacle that you're creating for you then you're just fighting with yourself you're dividing yourself against yourself yeah if you're concerned about uh the idea of putting a price tag on on your creations you're probably taking yourself a little too seriously, maybe. Right. Yeah. That is kind of true. Nobody really cares yeah. that much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, your integrity lies within with doing things that you enjoy doing. And so when you look at another artist who is doing work that you think they're just doing it for a buck, get, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Either they're miserable doing things they hate for a dollar. Or they're doing something they love doing that you don't like, and they're making a dollar, and it's just you being upset about right. your own judgments about what someone else is doing. Yeah. Um, I think we all want to just do whatever we feel like doing, and then just everybody standing in line trying to hand us cash for it. Right. But I don't know that that's ever going to happen if you, you know, you have to go and. <laughs> put the sales in you have to put the energy into trying to get people to take it from yeah you. yeah i mean i, I even think on a, i can i mean i know a lot of people that were talented and just waited around to be discovered and none of them got discovered and the, the only people i know who who've made it are the ones that hustled their asses off you know it's just that well, you, so, you have to do it so even if there were people who because they had unbelievable skill and vision and somebody saw it and swooped down to to help them. I'm. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to sell a bunch of the work, jack up the price. If if you don't know how that happened, as soon as you know, as soon as you run out of steam or the all the buyers that get really excited buy up all the work and they bought all they're going to buy, and then th- this person or this gallery as representative then find somebody else with unbelievable talent and vision and they, they, they're just going to switch over to them and start selling their work. Right. They're always going, they're going to be shuffling you aside and then you're going to be stuck up here with, you don't know how your prices got so high. You don't yeah. know how it sold. You don't know what to do with it. And then you don't know how to sustain it yourself. And then you're just going to go 
It's going to be like Bitcoin. It's going to go all the way up. <laughs> and everybody's going to be like, well, there's no more new buyers. And that's going to all the way back down to where you started. And that's when you buy the dip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but as an individual, you don't want to have those parabolic rises. Right. There's no guarantee that you're going to have another rise. So um, in, in my experience, I've gradually built things up over time. And by the time I got into galleries, I had all this experience that I, I had a, at least some understanding of how the business worked, yep. how to deal with galleries, how to deal, deal with uh, gallery directors and owners and sales staff. And, and so when my management that helped me get into a lot of these accounts, they were out of the picture. I wasn't left holding a bag. I didn't know how to do anything with, right. you know, yeah, I yeah. may not have, I may not have run the business quite as effectively as I would have if I had more experience or more organization. Like, you know, we haven't talked about that. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. That's sort something. Of idea of being organized Right. is the more organized you are, the more capacity you have to do more, do more business and to, to do better marketing and all this other stuff and even make more art. Right. Um, but I, I had at least a, um, I, I didn't shoot up into a gallery scene out of nowhere. I had, you know, by that point, 13 years of experience of wow. you know, traveling around and selling my so art. So 13 years before you started really getting involved in the gallery scene seriously? Before I went, before I went exclusively into galleries. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. That's another thing that to, to consider. It's like, you know, people are thinking like in a year or two, I could be doing this. And it's like, I always, I always am like, think 10, you have to think 10 years ahead. You and know? the irony is I look back and I was not really that prepared as I thought I was mm -hmm. like, like if that opportunity happened to me where I'm at as organized as I am now, I like, if I took what I'm doing now and went to New York art expo <coughs> I'm doing now, I would have had a completely different turn story right. because I'm, I, I am prepared for that. And I, I, I have the, system in place to sell to that market right. which i didn't at the time right um but i've always just kind of bitten off more than i can chew and then i just try to figure out how to chew it same here same and here sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't but, uh, <laughs> um to the organ like so the organization part of the business yeah started, that's a that's a good I, one at first i had to have enough organization to be able to to everything had to fit in my car and whatever that was. And, and that, that meant my display and all my inventory. So that limited what I could bring out to the boardwalk. Right. And so, or to, you know, like, or whatever show I was doing. So like, I remember there's a story about this too. Uh, I had a Nissan Pathfinder, 1993 Nissan Pathfinder. And, and, uh, the, 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 the water pump quit working on it. And, and I was raised to, you fix everything yourself. So I went and our, the auto supply part store bought the part, but you had to take off the whole radiator, the timing belt, right. everything to get, you know. And so I was, I had the tools and, and I was able to figure out how to manual and figure out how to do it and put it back together and it run. Wow. And, and I, I was on a deadline because it had to be done on, a, on Sunday night because Monday I had a show to go to to school. <laughs> well, a few weeks later, I was on my way. To, uh, so I did a, a show in Huntington Beach on the weekends, and it was like a Saturday-Sunday show. And I had sat up uh, – no, it was a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday show. So on, on Saturday morning, after we were, we would leave our displays and tent stuff down there over week, over, overnight, 
And on Saturday morning, I was driving down there to, to uh, do the show on Saturday. And halfway there, my engine made a funny noise and a clunk, 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 clunk. And then it just stopped working and I had to pull the side of the road. And it turned out that a tensioning spring on that timing belt had broken and and it caused the, the timing to come undone and it caused the piston the, the, the valves to slap the pistons. It ruined the engine. Oh my right? God. And so I got it towed to a repair shop and eventually towed to my house, but but I didn't have a car. I had all my stuff down on the at this event. So I went to the airport and rented a passenger van and I rent ripped all the back seats out of it out. And I figured, well, this passenger van has a lot more space. So while I have all this space, I'm going to bring all these originals down with me because I have space for it. So I show up and I take all the prints down in my booth, or a lot of them, and I put these big originals up. And, and <clears throat> in the first few hours, this guy jogs in, and all he's got in, you know, it's in the morning, and all he's got on is his jogging shorts. That's it. And he's running. <laughs> and he starts asking me all these prices, and I'm like, you know, 1800 2000 3000 whatever. And he points to this painting, he's like, I'll take this painting. It's a three thousand dollar painting, and he whips. He pulls his little wallet out of his underwear almost, <laughs> and, it, and I made three thousand dollars because I had that painting. I wouldn't have had that painting if my car hadn't broke down. Oh, that's great. That's great. Company, like, I can't sell these big expensive pieces if I don't have them in front of people to sell them. Right. That's great. And what I started doing is like I didn't have enough money to buy a van, but I mean, my credit card was maxed out. So what I do is I would pay like i'd find a rental car how much it costs and i would just pay that down on my credit card so i could go use it to get a rental car right <laughs> rental van and i started using rental vans to go to all these road shows oh wow until i was spending more money on rental vans than it would cost to get a loan on a van right you had a badass van went, for a while there man well yeah so then i went and bought an, an astro van and then i had the, That's a not bigger the, capacity yeah in my right. vehicle to bring more work to bring bigger pieces and that rose my rose my game so I, that i was going back to like that's a, the astro van it. wasn't the badass van i was talking about <laughs> I, I, i'm talking astro about van, I had a chevy, chevy express 1500 and by the end before i got into like hours i had a, a, a mercedes sprinter 20 van it was like the biggest the I tallest know. van you could bring that thing was because i had to have enough inventory to go to two or three shows on the road at a time right so that was amazing and it was gigantic and and i would bring these gigantic paintings yeah and and even if those gigantic paintings didn't sell, they brought people into the booth because they were attention getters. Right. But yeah, so you have all this organization and strategy. So the organization is, um, you know, figuring out what your inventory is, what sells, what doesn't sell. Uh, that's the basics of it. But even down to like, now I have uh, an Excel spreadsheet that has everything that comes in and out of my studio, everything that's in my inventory. So I know exactly what I have. And if you're working with galleries, they they love to forget what they have. <laughs> Some of them do. Right. And, and it saved my ass a bunch of times. So like, oh, we never received that. But then I have not only the date it was ordered, the date it was shipped, uh, the FedEx number, all the stuff, the invoice. All, I have everything as a matter of record. Right. And so what happens is that sometimes you'll end up dealing with people that won't keep any records and if you don't keep any records then everybody just throws their hands up well i guess we never we, everybody forgot and so they they will assume that you know you know you know well maybe your records aren't accurate but if you're the only one that has records you're the only one that has the record and it's the most accurate record right and so you want to keep track of all this and, you, and imagine there's 
software out there to help you do that. But the easiest way to do that is just an ex- Microsoft Excel and keeping a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. I finally learned how to do a spreadsheet, and it's like, oh shit, this is easy. I started using it for my to figure out my taxes, and it's like, oh my god, this is so easy. I've been you know dreading this for so long, but um, yeah. <clears throat> I'm I am I am so disorganized. I am extreme. You know, you've seen my studio. I'm extremely messy disorganized person and um i'm fine i'm i feel like i'm you know i've i you know i jumped into this whole business or you know when i first started i didn't know what the hell i was doing i was just kind of going with it and i never really had the time you know that really the whole time to stop and try and organize myself i mean i have here and there i you know i clean up i try and but it's always kind of like half ass and i'm uh yeah. I'm really only now just thinking about um, getting more organized in this way. Like I'm thinking right now I'm, I'm sitting and looking at my, it's, I saw that it's that, that uh, Casey Neistat studio tour. I don't know if you watched yeah. it yet, but um, <clears throat> it's like, it was so, I was so impressed by that, that like now I'm like, I, I'm going to redo my studio. Cause I'm sort of, get, you know, given into the, to the fact that I'm, I'm going to be in this, bedroom for a while the small bedroom so i really have to make the most of this space so i'm thinking just thinking about it just thinking about how i could be organized and efficient because like you said it really the less time i mean for me it's as simple as like finding a color or finding a brush i need and and that stuff adds up you know it costs money it really it's you know it's (laughs) It's distracting. It, yeah, and it's less money. And it's like, you know how it is with painting. It's hard to explain to people, but you don't just sit down and, and as soon as you clock in on a painting, you're just cranking it out. And it's like, you know, it's it's like it usually for me, it's sometimes it'll take, you know, two hours or three hours before I get in this flow. And then the last hour, yeah. you just are like, you're doing all, all the work is in the last hour. And the first three hours are just you like trying to get into the flow. So then it's like yeah. when you have to stop to look for something and you're in that flow, it just totally throws you off. So yeah, I'm trying yeah. to eliminate that because it really, it comes down to, it costs you money to, to, you know, yeah, it costs you time and yep. it's distracting. And, and for me, the, I've never been a really organized person either, <clears throat> but I've gotten more and more organized as I've gone on. And, I, and I've looked back and I see that, the more organized I was, the more successful I was, and mm. and, and a lot of the organization was just by by sure you you have to you have to do it organize <laughs> yeah. And so part of it was like I wanted to get off the boardwalk, so I had to organize my I had to plan ahead because uh, the boardwalk I could just show up to any any old weekend. I didn't have to reserve a spot or anything. But these shows, they had deadlines for applications right. for booth fees. And so the first thing I did to organize myself that was I just went and got a calendar that had the entire year by month and stapled it to my door and a a highlighter marker. And I just marked with different colors like due dates, show dates. And I planned out all these events so I could see my schedule out a year in advance. Mm. And that's how, you know, if I didn't have that kind of organization, I would have never got off the boardwalk because I would have just relied on whatever was just right in front of me all the time. So there was, and, but my, studio was messy like in the back in the back of one of my books i put a picture of my 2007 studio and it looks like it looks like a tsunami went through there it was just, <laughs> Fran- I, francis I bacon studio chaotic like i just would always have stuff laying like i'd have a chair but it'd be covered with like 
packaging, yep. clothes, <laughs> other stuff. Just like it would just start stack packed. You know, where I was painting would just be cleared up. My palette was just like, I never cleaned it. I just put more paint on it. And I just had this <laughs> big pile of dried paint everywhere on everything. And I've realized that the more organized I've got, the, the more the more efficient, the more effective my time is used in, yeah. in, in producing the work and selling the work. And I'm not fighting against myself with, you know, little bits of gooed up dried paint in my palette getting into my painting. Like, right. It, you know, it takes some, you know, a minimal amount of, you know, I guess, you know, you have a system and then you main, maintain it. Right. Like, like I used to never, I always had dirty dishes in my sink, you know, when I was younger. And now I, my kitchen is always clean because I can't stand it. I don't know what happened, but <laughs> I like when I go into my kitchen from when I'm working and everything's put away. It's just a peace of mind. Right. You know, right. the dishes are where they're supposed to be. Everything's kind of, you know, I have a lot of things cluttered, but I, this year I've spent a lot of time, what I call throwing away useful junk. Like I've had, you know, rolling tables and different things that are useful, but they're not doing anything. They're just sitting right. there taking up space. That's hard to get and rid you, of that stuff. <laughs> but I got rid of a, one of my big printers. I just put it out in the hallway. Really? <laughs> I wasn't ever using it. it. Was I used it for my paper printers, and you know, it probably needed a little bit of maintenance. But I tried to sell it. People didn't want to come and get it, and I'm like, I don't even want to deal with this. I just put it out in a hall. It would call Hallmark. You put out useful junk, and people just take it. That's great. And <clears throat> and it was gone in minutes. <laughs> and I was nervous about doing that. But you know what I got is that I have by throwing away all the stuff that I had out, you know, putting out in the hallway, I ended up with all this space. And people keep forgetting, at least me, I, I didn't realize like how important space is. Oh man. That's my that's and, my my big recurring dream is that I have space. Is that we move so into a new to, house or a studio and I'm just ecstatic because I have so much space. That's this is why I'm trying is, trying to clean and is, is get that, rid of stuff. Is if you moved into a bigger space, you would immediately it fill up. it up just like you have now. Yeah, that's so what that Lisa space says. Has to be, take what you have and you declutter and throw things away that even if it's useful it, it can be junk that's just taking up space in your psyche yep. in your physical space definitely and so now i have all the space and i have room to breathe i have room to do things and move around i'm mm. not like having to like stumble and bump my head into crap all the time yeah um you know like i recently took everything i and put it up on boom arms instead of a c-stand so i have all this reclaim on my floor space right like, you know, that's another form of organization. It's just creating a system that is gives you plenty of space and 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 a ability to move around within it. Yeah, yeah. It's like like um, one of the things I, I, when I started doing the uh, I haven't live streamed in a while, but when I was started live streaming, I'm going to. But I'm doing time lapses. I got it. Uh, it was such a pain in the ass t to set up every time because I wasn't really set up. And so it was, it was getting to the point where it was making me feel like paint. I was dreading. I was, I was not painting because I didn't want to yeah. set up the stuff and wait. And I didn't, I felt like it was a waste of another opportunity to, for my Patreon or whatever, to show progress videos. Yeah. I know what, I know what you mean. I was going through the same thing. Like, so I just, not I not wanting to work on anything without setting up my camera and filming it, you know? So what, what I did, I just made it to where it's super easy. You know, it's like, it's always up. I never move it. I, you know, set my computer up a certain way. And so now it's, it's like, you know, it's, you just push a few buttons and it's ready to go and it's always there. 
which is uh, yeah. uh, a, a form of you know me getting a little more organized, um, and it works really well. Yeah, yeah. I've I've kind of narrowed that down to where I just do my live stream every Friday, and you have so much time lapse footage. You've got like what fit twenty years or fifteen years of time lapse footage of since <sighs> I've been doing it since since two thousand seven. So hundred you have hundreds lapses. of paintings of time lapses. I think. Well, I didn't time lapse every one of them. There's lots of them I didn't that I wish I had. But yeah, I've I've been finding that. You have a lot, though. <laughs> so many people do time lapses now that, <clears throat> and I got a bunch of footage that I haven't. And I was I was starting to cap, you know, videotape everything in 4K resolution, right? And it was like blowing up all my hard drive space. Like I was going to have to spend more money on storing the stuff. And the, I've finally found that even the time lapses don't do a lot for me, really. Other than what they do is they, if I have to record everything, then I'm got this other thing going that's taking me out of my painting all the time. I know that's yeah, that's the 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 tricky part. And um, so I've I've kind of let go of that anxiety of not recording things and just started working on painting because because sometimes it, it prevents me from just walking in picking up a paintbrush and start working on something. Right. Yeah. So I have to do all this did all this sort of uh, you know equipment setup first, which has nothing to do with the painting, but trying to re film myself. And I've I've found that I don't miss not having all of that footage really. It's the the, the live stream I do is enough. I can make some time lapses out of that if I want to. Yeah. And and I use the same setup to re if I want to record I I just use the same setup and I don't record it in super high definition. Just record it in like, you know, 7 720 or 1080p or whatever. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. And, 1080. And uh I use the same setup for my live stream as I'm using for a Skype call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so right. So it's all kind of pretty simple and easy to do. I got my I got my 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 camera on a rolling C stand with a friction grip arm that I can move up and down and around because the tripod was taking up too much space. I know the tripods are he asked to move up and down. And... That's one of my next things is getting my, my parallel palette off a tripod and putting it on like a mounting arm, one of those Manfrotto arms or something. Cause the tripod yeah. is like gets in the way of everything. I'm always kicking it. Does. it. I hate yeah. tripods. So like, <laughs> I, I think what we're getting at is that uh, part of the organization is uh, building in systems for what you're doing. So there's a system for anywhere from how to set up your live stream, how to set up your palette, how to, how to load your van. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, but all these things, they, they, all these things come from experience though. Like, like you were saying earlier, yeah. if you, if you try, sit down and you try and figure it out, there's a million things that you didn't think of and you're, and you're, you're not going to be prepared anyway, because it's never the same as when you actually yeah. do it. And the only way, to, to get a system down that I found is, is to do it and then find out where all the bugs are and the things that aren't working and then fix yeah, those yep. along the way, yep. you know? Yeah. So yeah, J jump into it. Just jump without, in <laughs> with whatever you have at the time. And then you'll s certainly find things that are getting in your way or, 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 you know, issues that you need to resolve. Um, and then you figure out solutions for those things, but you can't, imagine the problems and then figure out solutions in your head because you you don't know exactly what those problems are going to be. I yep. mean, you can do a certain amount of that, but eventually you just have to jump in. Like yep. you can read all the books about swimming and you can watch all kinds of YouTube videos about how to swim. Or, and, but until yeah. you jump in the water, you're not going to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's especially true of painting in general. I mean, I, I, yeah. I know that there's a tendency, uh, especially with oil painting, for some reason, there's kind of a fear of oil painting. People just, watch which is great you should watch a lot of videos but nothing beats 
actually painting. No video is going to teach you more than actually doing it yourself. Because yeah. there's the, the one thing that can't be taught from any painting video, I've yet to see it, it's impossible, is is the tactile um, the tactile nature of painting is you can't tell someone how it feels when you have just the right amount of medium in your paint and just the right amount of paint on the canvas or the surface yeah. that, you know, there's too much in the amount of pressure to where it's not going through all the way to the background and how to, you know, it's like, you can't, that stuff you, you just have to experience to learn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how much? So it's short. Yeah. There's nothing we could tell. There's no, there's no, <laughs> there's there's no, no five step. There's no, there's no like quick three steps to, to success. There's no, like, like when, even when I do my live stream, I'm not ever giving people a how to do anything because the circumstances that I did things in are different now. But I can just tell you what I did, right? And what I learned, and and then tell you that you know you're gonna have to figure this out yourself. Yeah, that's how <laughs> I approach it too. All the tutorials, it's like this is you know, uh, especially the ones on specifically on how I paint. It's like this is how I do it. And you're gonna have to try it, and it's not gonna just be like because you know it, you can do it. You have to like mess with it and try it out and get the feel for it. It's the feel that you can't teach. Um, yeah, I, I get it. like even every painting has its own problems to solve. Like, I know, you know how to make the. Usually, there's like there's a combination of on the palette that is for that painting, and once you stumble across it, that informs you about everything else about what colors to mix with what. Right, right. But sometimes it takes a while to figure out like you know what that is, and sometimes I'll pick a pigment that I like. I've been using this dioxine blue, and mm. I'm starting to figure out how to make that work in paintings. And right. or one time it was like uh, Indian yellow. How do I use this? And then all of a sudden it's like you discover how to use yellows with grays. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, like Payne's gray or these neutral tones. Like oh man, it's like a, a whole other world unlocked. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I, I was texting you the other day, and I finally, it's I, it, there's been a Payne's Gray discussion for years now, I think, with me and, and other artists talking about how great Payne's Gray is, you being one of them. Because uh, I know you've told me about Payne's Gray before. I know you have. You and a bunch of other people are like, I can't live without Payne's Gray. And I just never really found like a need for it. And then these last series, I, I finally was like, it was a matter of mixing a little bit of white in with it amongst all these other blues, these yeah. blue, gray blues that I were mixing that were really cool. And I was, and it was just like, ah, oh, this is, this is it. I get it. It's like this really unique specific kind of gray that just, it was like, you know, I finally was like, okay, I get Payne's gray. I get it after 20 years. Yeah. For me, it was Payne's gray. <laughs> and then I would mix Naples yellow and to lighten it up. Ah, that's and cool. And then I would mix my, my, my cadmium reds in there for the flesh tones. Mm. And, and really? uh, that painting I did of you is one of the, one of the first few paintings I was really discovering that out. Oh, wow. How to, how to use those grays. That's cool. Well. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first painting I ever did uh, after smoking weed, too. Really? Or, or while smoking weed. First painting I ever made while while I was stoned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> it seems like it was the only way that that could have happened. Yeah, huh? that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> That's great. Uh uh um what else was, was i gonna ask you i was gonna ask you something else um well i don't know if i start talking it'll just come up 
I, 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 again, though, I want to reiterate that if you want to do this for a living, the business thing is, it's like, it's, I hate to say this, but I really think it's true. It's, it's as important as the painting part, you know, as far as making a living, as far as making a living. Yeah. If you're wanting to make a living, you got to figure out how to put a price on it and sell it and take money for it. Oh, I know. I mean, yeah, you yeah. can barter for it. You could barter. I, mean, I know you can do that. I've, like... I, I've bartered plenty, which is great, but I know, I know what I was going to say. Now I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I had it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, oh fuck. I lost it again. <laughs> um, It'll come back. Oh, it was a good point, too. There was something I wanted to talk about. It was something I wanted to say on this episode. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, <laughs> uh, there's this. There's a quote, a famous quote by Andy Warhol. And it's, of course, it's hyperbole. And it's, like, obviously tongue-in-cheek. But because um, he, he was all about business he was like he he you know he the factory his studio it was like a factory it was kind of amazing yeah. and he he made a well, lot of money is an art of itself that well that was his quote it's like oh. he said uh the quote was art is art is the best or business is the best art which is like you know an andy warhol asperger yeah. weirdo quote that's like kind you know a little extreme but but the point of um treating the business trying to treat the business aspect as another creative um expression is is a good way to look at it too because i i've i'm i feel like uh you can you can conduct your business creatively you're still you can still be using the same kind of muscles that you do when you create your artwork yeah. with business in the sense that you know there's making being creative on how to how to accept payments how to do commissions how to market especially how to market and sell things and try you know trying different techniques if you can approach it as like another aspect in this creative endeavor you have another creative aspect of this creative endeavor you have it's i think it's easier to acclimate to because it's something you're going to have to get get used to if you're going to make a living at it. It's just, you know, no way around it. Yeah, you're going to – it's – so the so making of it. art and then getting – disseminating that art into the public, whether you're selling it or giving it. There's a million – if you don't want to sell it, you can do it other ways too. Right, right. But like you're saying, it requires some creative thinking about, you know, you could – do do uh, auctions for charity or anything sort of some you are helping other people with it or any number of things you're doing something for a cause that your your art is part of something else that doesn't really have a monetary value um you know the the making a living part you know part of the way our society works we use money or some sort of thing to exchange for goods and services that we need so you don't have to do it with, you could barter for it. You can do something and let other people profit off. I don't, I don't know. There's a, lot, there's there's a just, number of ways you yeah, could be doing it. Exactly. And, and, you know, and we tend to, we tend to talk about it the way that we have done it and understand it. That doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. There's probably better ways to do it. I'm just 
like when I'm, I, you know, I realize when I'm talking about these things, I'm talking about it from my own experience and perspective. But, you know, I grew up in a trailer park in the middle of nowhere, 60 miles from a grocery store. And so my mentality is going to be, you know, I fix my own cars and I, my bicycle and as a kid came from the dump and <laughs> I, we bought tires and wheels from other, you know, like I had like a Frankenstein bike, right? you know, my first bicycle when I was a kid, like I, I came out of just a weird situation. Right. And so my approach to these things is going to be, you know, in that world of my mentality. So you might be from some other place altogether and you might have a completely better and more efficient and in way more practical way of doing things that I can't even understand or conceive of because I didn't, I didn't have my mind wasn't in it raised that way. Right. We're all sort of products of our, of our environment, so to speak. And so you just do what you can with the best you have. Right. Or the best you can with what you have at the time. Yeah. That, that's, that's something that's kind of served me well, you know, growing up as a kid, it was like, we didn't have a lot of money either. Um, I wasn't getting my bike at the dump. So I was, it sounds like I wasn't, wasn't quite as (laughs) impoverished as you, but there, I remember I wanted a diamondback BMX bike and I never got one. (laughs) I had the, uh, the Huffy. Yeah. Yeah. The the only new bike I ever got was like a Huffy. Yeah. And it had had steel or lead mags on it. It was like trying to pop a wheelie on that thing. It was like trying to lift weights. But, but that, that's one thing that it made me resourceful. Because I could never get yeah. the things that I needed, so I always had to figure out another way to to get what yeah. I needed. And so you you you, the thing is, it's like when you find. It's funny though because I was living that way. My I've lived that way my whole life. It's like I'm resourceful because I'm used to it. Because I was grew up to where I had to be resourceful because I wanted to do all this yeah. shit. I was always like really creative and I wanted to make things and I never and I, we didn't have any money. So, um, but then when you get to a point. I've, I've, I remember there was a period where I got to a point where I was earning enough money to where it's like I could buy the things and not be so resourceful. Instead of being so resourceful, I could just buy this thing and save myself a lot of time and ultimately money. Yeah. And it's like I would it would take me sometimes years to buy something that I could afford because I wasn't used to buying things that I needed. I was used yeah. to like just coming up with creative solutions to not. And then you, then you look back and I'm like, I've been struggling with this thing for three years because I don't want to spend 50 bucks on this thing that would have like made my life so much easier. It was like a yeah. weird transition that, for me. That's a hang up with money. I understand. Right. You get the money. You don't want to spend it. You want to sit at right. your checking account. Like, <laughs> I have 1200 bucks. I'm not going to turn around and spend that out and be broke again. But But the thing is, is like if you're spending it on your art, you have the thing to help you produce your artwork or you have the artwork, you have the inventory. And so like I could be broke as far as money was concerned, but if I had inventory, I wasn't broke because I could turn that into something. Yep. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's It's like a currency. (laughs) Art, art is, is, is our, is our currency for us. Um, yeah. I I, I remember watching those $20 prints come out of my printer for, before a festival down in San Diego. I was like, it was like watching twenty dollar bills coming out. <laughs> they were future twenty dollar bills. You know? yep. <laughs> but then I had to go somewhere and drive them, package them, and sign them. And I had to do, you know, it wasn't like right. Somebody yeah. just came with a briefcase full of cash and traded me for the form or anything like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's just it's more like a, the symbol because it's the thing you're selling. It doesn't represent all of, you know, it, it it's doesn't. Like you're taking this thing that you can do. 
like the skill that you have and you're and you're turning it into to some sort of other energy right that you can use to like you know then make bigger artwork you know because eventually i moved into a bigger studio i was able to make more i got a bigger vehicle and and i completely as i got more space filled it with more stuff and bigger art right and right. I, and that's how i grew uh, but uh if you if you're so cons- you know so concerned about like not ever spending you you it's a lot of people that were in venice would be like i tell them about going to these shows and they're like i'm not going to spend 150 bucks 300 bucks on a show somewhere like i can just come here for free right and they didn't get it that there's limitations to being in venice beach big ones yeah it really does it takes money to make money to get over the mentality too it's like so i'm going to spend 300 dollars on a booth space when that's as much money as i would normally make in an entire day that's a big gamble like i don't but then you go to that show and you make 10 times as much as right. you made at the, at the beach. You're like, right. Then you start seeing that putting that energy out and being willing to spend money on your artwork or selling your artwork or marketing, spend, spending that resource that you have, if you have money, spending it could have shortcutted a lot of things that I had to go through because right. I didn't have the resources. Well, that's the, and but, also that's the risk you have to take. And it's like the whole reward, you know, without any, without risk, there's no reward. It's like, just like you, you're, uh, the show that bankrupted you in New York, it's like that was a huge risk and you took it and it didn't work. And it's like you dealt with it. You moved on, you kept going. And then other risks, yeah. you know, you did other risks that paid off. And it's like that's the nature yeah. of life. You know, you got to yeah. take these risks. And uh, But if I didn't have that, you know, growing up in the middle of nowhere with a bike from the dump mentality as a kid, yeah. I wouldn't have seen selling my art on the sidewalk in Venice Beach as an opportunity. Right, I would have right. saw that as what, what all these kind of – people that are desperate or poor or whatever they are, that's what they're doing. But that's not for me, you know, like, because right. my mind wouldn't have saw it that way. But right. I just saw like, oh, they're here and uh, they're not doing it for nothing. And, and I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so there I was like in the street with it. But, I, um, I remember the, the, I got one, one last thing to talk to you about. I remember that the other thing I wanted to bring up and that was print sales. Or reproductions, I guess we should say, because if, the, if you're doing sculpture, it's, you know, you can do reproductions. Reproductions, to me, I, I, the way I see it, and, and, you know, you tell me how you feel, but I feel like they're so important. It, it's Or any merchandising that you can do from your original artwork, you can, you know, I've said this in the podcast before, you could sell a painting for two grand, but you can make 10 grand off of that painting through prints and merchandising your stuff, putting your stuff on t-shirts, if that's your audience or whatever. It's like, you can make so much more from a single image. You can make money the rest of your life from a single painting. And it's like, if you Mm -hmm. just sell the painting and, and don't, you know, make reproductions of it in different ways, it's kind of like you're, you're making so much less than you possibly can. And, and uh, it just doesn't seem smart to not, at least try prints in some manner. Um, and you, it was a uh, Cam DeLeon was the first guy that kind of turned me on to prints and, and kind of paper prints. And then uh, you were the one that got me to canvas. You clays. And um, cause those were, you know, those do really well for you. Right. Yeah. So it's, so it's, that's it's pretty much, pretty much all I, uh, as far as prints, all I sell now, I think I had some, pa- like I've, you had paper the ones I haven't sold out of. I've discontinued making even just paper and you prints. just do canvas clays. I mean, even that is yeah. like, uh, uh, you know, that's a strategy you're using. 
it's like you're probably making more from the canvas prints and it makes them more exclusive yeah, there's, there's, and this there's and that. There's a reason for that. I, like everybody, again, this goes back to having systems. And I've, I found that when I was, especially when I was doing festivals, you have people that come in and say I had a bunch of 15 and $25 prints, then 45, $65 paper prints, then canvas prints that were anywhere from 250 to $800, whatever mm. is that, the, the, sometimes you would have a lot more. Um, so you, first of all, you have the limitation of your vehicle, what you're traveling in, right? And how much space do those paper prints take up? And how much do you sell of, the, of that space? How much of those sell and make you money at a show? And if you just had those as canvas prints, how much more? You know, they, actually the canvas prints take up space, but they are more profitable and they end up making more revenue. So when you take up a bunch of space in a vehicle with a bunch of low-end items, they are actually dragging down your other sales. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, also, when you're in a booth and you have a bunch of people asking you a bunch of questions and, and you're answering a bunch of questions about $15 prints and then somebody who wants to make a $500 purchase gets tired of waiting and leaves and doesn't come back, you've lost out right. on a $500 sale because you've wasted all your time. or Not you know, wasted, but you spent all your time dealing with low-end items. That's a good point. And, and and it tends to weed out the kind of uh, – it, it, it eats into your – like the, the low-end stuff can eat into your time, mm-hmm. both in making the work and selling it because you're going to spend a lot, of, uh, a lot of time producing the inventory and getting everything prepared and having all the packaging together. All that stuff takes up a lot of time. Right. But and this so is then it just, this is you talking now because you, you've done yeah. – small cheap paper prints and it's so like i still I do festivals, yeah i still I do the festivals i ended up weeding out some of the lower end stuff depending on the venue i was right. going to that's again knowing your audience and where yeah. you're at and, and there's all kinds of things that go into it but just to the idea of making prints it was out of sheer practicality when i first started out uh the venue venice beach they didn't have a big a lot of people walking around buying two or three hundred dollar paintings off the sidewalk Right. They were there to spend cheap stuff, like pizza slices were a buck. Right. You know, like everything was dirt cheap in, in like a flea market there almost. And so people would spend 10 or $20, but they weren't going to spend $200. And there were people that would, but I couldn't count on that. And so I was, I would rather sell at that time 10, $20, items then the chance that I would just sit around waiting for one person to come by to buy a $200 item, and maybe that person wouldn't come by that day, and I'd make zero, and I right. needed to eat. Right. <laughs> and then maybe the next day, two people would come by and buy $200 paintings. and you, so. But I didn't like that sort of like feast or famine. I like to have some sort of like consistent cash flow. And so mm-hmm. the print market was much, much simpler for me. Right. But I had imagery that people would want prints of, like illustrative, figurative work, there are people who do work that by its nature is probably not going to do as well as print sales as it would originals. And I know people that even on the boardwalk would just sell originals, but they would make like these drawings on cardboard that they would do for 20 bucks a piece. They still have the price ranges, but they could crank out all this inventory for, for cheap because the, the nature of their work allowed them to work very quickly. Right. Like my paintings would take me weeks to make. I was doing acrylic paint, paint and color pencil and render. I couldn't afford to to do that and then sell it for for a hundred bucks or 200 bucks right it wasn't it wasn't profitable it wasn't yeah, sustainable. yeah yeah and 
I was going to say, even even making those paintings, not every one of them turned into great print sellers. So what happens is that you make a bunch of these paintings, and then a few of them turn into prints that people want to buy. Right. And then, you know, a, a small percentage of your work turns into streams of revenue off print sales. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely have found that also. It's Again, this goes back to um, you never know what's going to be popular as an image. Yeah. You know, it's like I've I've released prints. I remember releasing a print back when I was first doing it on my old website back in 2004, maybe. And I never sold one print of it. <laughs> and, and I had a sales <laughs> record. I would, you know, my prints were selling okay. And there was this one yeah. print. It just never sold. And I thought it was really cool. I should redo that as a painting. That would be a cool painting. Anyway, I don't even know where the file is at this point. But um, uh, you never know what's going to sell. Um but it's like I, 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 I still sell like a wide, a super wide range because my attitude is like they don't really take. I've got someone who helps me like package them and cut them up and and all that, and so all they have to do is print them and sign them. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I like the idea of bringing. I like the idea of of uh, lower end, lower cost items because I feel like it brings in. Um, maybe a younger crowd that doesn't have the kind of money to buy more expensive things. Yeah. And if they're in for the long haul, they own a, they own a piece of work. Plus it's cool to just offer something like that. But then so it's like when I they do, get, when they get money, when they, when they get older and they establish their job themselves in their career, they'll come back and they'll want to buy, you know, maybe a more expensive yeah. piece or an original eventually, you know? So the, I mean, the, the other, that long the other term thing, is I, how I'm thinking. the other thing that I do now rather uh, is I make, nice booklets of my work sometimes like you know i'll come out with like a 20 page 12 by 12 inch booklet. yeah those are great and i give those away and they have large versions of the images so people that are wanting the the less expensive version they can get a booklet at the gallery or or whatever and they can cut it out and put it wherever they yeah you know, they can do whatever they want to with it so i give i give expensive promotional materials away right. <laughs> as as the other side of it so that you know people who really like it plus i now i have books and I have other things and right but i, I find that just just by the nature of working with the galleries that trying to keep track of and 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 produce low end items unless they're buying them in bulk where I can do a bunch of them yeah, yeah. and ship them together that makes sense even if i have somebody yeah. working here it's just yeah. a bunch of busy work and that, it that, it isn't as valuable use of time and this, resources yeah this makes sense to me now this makes more sense to me now this, since you're selling directly through galleries that makes a lot more sense and why it works for me since I'm not, I don't have a middleman or I'm not cut. You know, it's like, it, it's, it makes sense. I think more sense like, for me like, to be doing it the way my business yeah. model is where I'm selling direct. For example, like if we were to do another tattoo convention, I still have a box of paper prints that I was doing for my, my Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, I would probably bring those to a, to like a, a convention just to get rid of them. Because I can sell them on bulk, I don't have to do anything extra for them. Right. Uh, there will be a bunch of people there that could buy a bunch of them. You know, that might be something that I would do, but I, I wouldn't really be bothering with trying to make that part of my business model now. Just be, it just, it's one of those things that doesn't really work for me now as much as right, I, right. when I was uh, earlier in the career. Right. Um, but that's just because you know, like. Everybody is going to have their own way of doing these I know, things. I know. I've, I've out of all the people, I've 200 episodes of this podcast, right? And um, it, again, it's it's the, the the career path 
is always different. It's all like like we said. There's always these certain similarities in all of them, and then some. And then there's all. It, but overall, it's so different, and things work different for different markets and different artists. It's really strange. Yeah. But that's kind of why um, why it's so hard to teach this sort of thing f- to artists because it's so different. It's really you know. I think most. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I think most other career paths are a little more straightforward. Like you go to school, you do this, you do a resume, blah, blah. I don't know. I talked to Kalisa, <laughs> my girlfriend. She's So she's a, a microbiologist and she works in a startup pharmaceutical company. And, and she talks about how the practical knowledge of how to work in a lab and how to that isn't taught to you in school. Like oh, wow. what she learned in school and what she's learned on her career path. I think it's similar in all these cause Maybe. in school they're doing all these things, but then all the practical, practical things of running an experiment and keeping notebooks and all, all the things that she's acquired as a skill in the field that she could not get out of school, but had to get it through working experience in a lab that nobody can prepare you for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think this, these things transcend a, a lot of different, um, um, you know, career paths. Uh, I, the, the basics of it is like learning how to run and manage a business. Like I, I didn't grow up in a family that owned businesses or ran yeah. a business. I grew up in a family that worked for other people. And so that was my mentality. Yeah. And so all the things that it takes to run a business, like I just kind of, I dumb, dumb lucked my way through it, a lot of it, and screwed up some of it. And, and, uh, but once I discovered that I owned my work, I could do whatever work I wanted to do. And I was the ex- exclu- had exclusivity through copyright over it through the rest of my life. There was no way I was going to go work for someone else again. I was like, once you get a taste of that freedom, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's like, like, there's a lot of drawbacks. There's no support. There's no. There's like, no, like nobody's bailing out the artists anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> pandemic. I mean, I was able to get some support from the government through through the PPP loans and stuff because I have people that work for me. But uh, I was really shocked at that. I'm like, ah oh, man, it must be bad. They're bailing out artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're the last people to be bailed out. Yeah, but yeah, it's like I've never had the ability to get unemployment. Uh, yep. That's never even been an option for me. Vacation. Um, yeah, yeah. Vacation <laughs> is something you have to steal from yourself. Because <laughs> <laughs> every time you take a vacation, it's time that you could be doing yep. something to produce artwork or to sell it. Or Yeah, so not only so, is yeah. the, va- the vacation costing you money, it's also just not working for the week or two is, not, is costing yeah, you money. Yeah, so it's like yeah, your vacation that, is twice as costly. Especially <laughs> when I was starting out, I had this girlfriend that she wanted to go on these road trips during the weekend. And she, she was like, you just take, you, just, you know, just don't sell the, at the boardwalk. It's like, I, not only am I losing out the money I would have made, I'm spending more money on top of it. So I'm losing out twice as right. much money. <laughs> twice as much. You know, like, Everybody thinks that if you're an artist that you're just like, you just, you can, you're, you can just do, you can just skip out and do whatever you want. And it's, you know, like, yeah. so there's, there's that sort of idea, but it's also the advantage that they think you're stupid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and you can get away with a lot because people have expectations about like, uh, you can, you know, he's, he's an artist, he's, a, he's eccentric or whatever you, so you can, you can play into people's stereotypes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
take advantage of it. That's you know? true. That's true. They, did they expect less from you. <laughs> right. So everything's a, everything's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> <laughs> when you show up on time, it's like, oh. Yeah, when you show up on time and you sound like you know what you're, you know, you sound coherent. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're over, we're an hour 40 now, so we should probably wrap this up. Um, I, I want, I, I want to hear your final thoughts on the business of art, just a general, just a general overview. I have something I want to say, and I'm going to say mine first because your stuff's usually better than mine. So let me get the lame one out of the way. <laughs> but one thing I'd like to say for people who are um, interested in making, making artwork as they're living is as much as it's a crapshoot, you're not necessarily going to make it just because you really want to do it. However, I feel that if you are dedicated to, you know, doing great work, if you're able to hit a certain level of quality with your work and you're dedicated enough to do all the bullshit that you don't want to do and you keep pushing and you, and you, uh, look at the long game and you think 10 years ahead instead of a year or two ahead, you think about 10, 15 years uh, of where you might want to be. It's really, it's surprisingly, um, I don't want to say probable, but it's a, it's surprisingly possible that you can do it. You really can do it. It's if if you just have to be willing to do almost anything and sacrifice a lot. You have to be willing to sacrifice, you know, a lot. So if you're willing to sacrifice just about, you know, just about anything to get there, you you can make it. You can actually do it. You can make a living creating your own artwork. And, um, and, and that's something that it's not easy. And by the time you get there, you may have wished you hadn't, <laughs> but, but it's definitely, it's possible. It's more possible maybe than, than a lot of, I think a lot of people think it is like, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm always surprised in a way that I made it this far, but at the same time, I was like, not taking no for an answer. I was just like, I, I was like, it's going to be this or nothing. You know, this is it. I'm I'm not giving up on this one i've get, had start i've tried i tried the band i tried getting into computer you know end of things uh, makeup effects and it's like you know this is the one thing it, I, i'm not going to give up on this so it's going to happen because i because i'm not going to let it not happen i'm going to do whatever it takes so uh it is possible it's definitely possible so that's what i wanted to, that's what i wanted to end on yeah um <laughs> the, the takeaway for me is like I've mentioned it before. There's a few things. One, do good work. Yeah, and for sure. I, I think people often rush into trying to figure out how to sell their work before they've managed to do enough work to, to, to have good work. doesn't mean you have to have your style completely figured out, but if you're just starting out figuring out how to, how to be an artist in general, you're probably not there yet. Right. So you can start there, but be, you know, expect that your results are going to reflect the amount of inter- the amount of time and, and, uh, uh, you know, the amount that you've put into perfecting or mastering your craft, right? Whatever that is. Um, second is meet your deadlines. What, what I mean by that is you obligate yourself to, to things by telling people what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. So you, you have to fulfill your word. You have to have the, uh, your reputation and your word is going to take you a long ways in what you say you're going to do. So, 
you know, meet your deadlines, do yeah. things on time. Don't be late, chronically behind schedule on things. Be easy to work with. That, yeah. And that was the next one. Be easy to work <laughs> with. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, don't think, don't believe your own good press. Right. You know, don't believe your own bad, all the bad press either. It's like, there's going to be ups and downs, but, but generally, uh, you, you you want to be someone that people want to work with, and so being easy to work with is part of that. The other side is what you're saying is don't take no for an answer, which is don't be a pushover, and don't you know you don't have to be taken advantage of by people to make this work. So having knowing where your self-respect is and having integrity for what both you stand for and what you're willing to tolerate as far as um, uh, behavior by other people. Right. So you don't have to take, you don't, you don't have to be ripped off, you know, or, or take, you know, just take what other people give you. You can, you can, you can stand up for yourself too. Yeah. Um, but, um, the, the, the basics of it, I think are take, taking what you have, like we mentioned before, take what you have right now and start. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice. And, and, and then, and then figuring out where you could put it, and then just keep doing it until something starts clicking. And then eventually you're going to stumble across something that works. Right. And then you figure out how to build on what works. Totally. And then how to turn everything and direct everything towards that working operation. And then how to find another thing that works. And you start putting these pieces together. Yep. And these things happen gradually over, over time. Um, what, what would be the next thing that I would say to people? Um, Again, I'm going to just reiterate what something you said is like, I didn't have a backup plan. This was the thing. This was my only plan and the best thing. This is the thing that I was the best at. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could do it better than I could do anything else. And I could do it better than most people could do it. That was my mentality. Right. Like, if they can do it, I can do it too, but I can do it better. Right. And that might be delusional, but if you don't have that idea that you're going to do it better than anybody, that like, this is the only thing that you can do. There is nothing else that, that is some, some other backup. There's nothing else that's going to be there waiting for you on the side. If this doesn't work, you, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's really what I was. That's just like, there was nothing else for me to do. Right. And, Which, and, and yeah, and Which... the basics of it was I was going to be a, Make, make a living as an artist, whether I was working at a studio somewhere doing something or just selling my art in the street. I would rather do that than work at Macy's. Right. Or some other job. And going back to your idea of sacrifice, that, that is very true too. Like, I didn't start a family or have kids. You know, I still don't have kids because I knew that all I had to do was fend for myself. I didn't have to have anybody else that needed to be fed mm -hmm. or anything. I didn't have a, I didn't have girlfriends or anything. Right. I, I did a couple, but I, I didn't really have relationships for a long time when I was starting out. And I lived very poorly and cheaply. Like I didn't get furniture for a while. Like I, <laughs> I just lived without <laughs> right. and everything went into what I was doing with the art. Like I, everything was about me and my doing my art thing. Right. So, so you're fully dedicated. You were fully dedicated. Yeah. And, and anything that was going to keep, you know, anything that was I couldn't support with my art had to go. Right. <laughs> or I couldn't have it. Yep. 
You know, I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have cable. T I remember I, <laughs> by the time I got a, a direct TV, I, I remember going to hotel rooms on the road when I was doing shows and just loving it because there was a big TV with a with cable. You know, yeah. I didn't have cable. <laughs> 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 it's like, man, it's awesome. Like, I'm on vacation at a hotel room. You know? I was like, the hotel room was nicer than where I lived. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, you know, I remember having, you know, twelve dollars in the bank, you know, and just like having, you know, and I had uh, this house, yeah, <laughs> you know, and having twelve dollars in the bank and being, yeah. and being like, okay, something's something's got to happen, and it's like it forces you to fucking make something happen. It just, you know, yeah, it's it like. Does. I'm not, lo I'm not losing everything, you know, I'm going to, my brain, I can figure something out, you know, I can do this and I don't know. And I, I don't know, but I'll, as long as you're not, as long as you're not a complete fuck up, like you're not like, right. um, you know, <laughs> caught in some vice that's really dragging you down right. and taking out your resources and your time, Right. you're probably going, even if you get knocked down to like 12 bucks in your pocket, you're going to recover because you don't have something else like piled on top of it yep so, yeah yeah absolutely you know so i, I wasn't a partier i wasn't a drinker or smoker same here, same here. Know, i didn't do drugs or anything until i was like in my mid-30s yep um so i didn't have any of those things kind of getting in my way either yeah no distractions yeah uh just my uh absolute loneliness <laughs> <laughs> your artwork to keep you company uh, I was the original incel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of a long takeaway. Yeah, do what you do with the best you can with what you have, and start right now. Definitely. And uh, don't give up. That's a great place to end it. Well, thanks for coming on. As always, it's super fun to yeah. talk. I mean, I. I I think I would. I want to keep bringing you back up for topics here and there because it's like our art, artwork, specific artwork topics. I think it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, even fun if to you, do. even if we did a, like a sidebar um, offshoot of what you're doing, you know, with your podcast, like it would just focus on business stuff. I mean, yeah. As weird as like I do my live stream, when I ask people to ask questions, I get no questions. So I guess people don't have them, or I, I answer them <laughs> during the stream. I don't know. Right. But uh, <laughs> you know, then again, it's like, what are we doing this for? I, I think. Because, you know, for me, it's like, it's almost like you want to give back to the people that are coming up. So they have something for to sure, like, kind for of, sure. you know, some, some helpful information. It's like, it's probably not going to apply to all of them. Right. Like, you know, I sometimes felt... you can get a bit, a bit of information. I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. And... Well, you know, when I was starting, there wasn't like, YouTube wasn't what it was. And it was literally, I had no idea other than I knew a couple artists and I asked them, but I felt like. I didn't know. I had no clue. There was nowhere to go for any of that stuff. And now there's so many resources, you know. And it's like now yeah. we're, you know, but we're we're trying to, you know. It's I I want, you know, I I, I want to help out anybody who's in that position because I know, you know, yeah. we both know that feeling of just like helplessness, not knowing what to do, and just having something, something to go on, just a little bit. Yeah. You just need a little bit of information, oh. and you can kind of work with that, you know. Yeah. So one last thing that reminds me is that beware of anybody who tells you that they've got it figured out completely yeah. <laughs> and they're to sell you a system of how to do it. Yeah. You know, like, you know, they have this sort of like um, book or DVD instructional or things like about how to, you know, like a system of how to do it. Um, 
there is no one step answer because unless you do exactly what their art is, like it's like my system is not going to work for you specifically exactly because I my work is different yeah. and my story is different and circumstances are different. Um, there are fundamental things that will go across the board, I think. But uh, you know, trying trying to source out like what's real information and what's just people selling you a bunch of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they might have something, they might have some valuable information, but um, be wary about that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, really, if you're looking, you, don't spend more time looking for information than you do just trying to figure it out. Usually what I try to do is like, I find something, I go try to do it, and then I go back and look for answers to specific questions that I'm trying to answer about something. Right. And I'll take your time. You don't have to rush into anything. It's going to take time. There's going to be ups and downs and all, all of that. Yep. Um, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, uh, on, on that note, thanks for coming on. <laughs> it was great talking to you. No doubt. And no uh, doubt. Uh, let's say goodbye to everybody. All goodbye. right. Goodbye. Later. Goodbye, everybody. Gabe's <laughs> waving. <laughs> <laughs>